Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you on this uh, last Sunday in November, first Sunday of Advent. And I'm excited because today uh, we are going to be talking about hope. I love that word, hope, don't you? Um, this was the uh, front page uh, of The Economist a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the image says it all, doesn't it? I don't know if you can see on your screens that tiny little sort of vaccine jab type thing, needle at the back. And uh, it came as a result of the announcement that this vaccine for uh, coronavirus was on its way and our hopes as a nation and as, uh, as a world are kind of hinged on the promise of it, aren't they? And uh, the day that it was announced, hopes rose, the stock market rose, uh, and we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think that image is brilliant. But right now, we're still in the waiting time. We know it's coming, but it's not here yet. And uh, we know it's going to make a difference. Or we believe it's going to make uh, a difference when it comes. That's why we're hopeful. But today, you know, it's not affecting our today in a tangible way in one sense because we're still in lockdown, we're still under restrictions, we're still going through a tough time for many of us, but we do have hope, don't we? We're full of anticipation because of what we believe it's going to mean for us and it, we believe it's going to change things for the better. And hope is intrinsically connected, isn't it, to a sense of anticipation, to a sense of expectation that good is coming. You might find me saying something like, I hope somebody gives me an advent calendar this year. Or you might find me saying, I hope Vernon Kay wins I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Or I hope we get uh, a trade deal for Brexit. But when we use hope in that context, we're really just talking about kind of what, we what we're longing for, what we wish for, what we want, aren't we? We use it in a kind of desire context rather than in an expectation context. Uh, I don't know that I've got an expectation of anybody giving me uh, an advent calendar. But true hope is actually a confident expectation of good coming. True hope is, a, good, is a, a confident expectation of good coming. Fear is the opposite, isn't it? Op, uh, fear is the expectation of bad things coming. Despair is the expectation of nothing coming. But hope is the expectation of good coming. That's what's behind that magazine cover, isn't it? A neurologist and a professor at Cornell University called Dr. Harold Wolf did an intensive study on the physical effects of hope on the human body a number of years ago. He studied 25,000 Japanese prisoners of war in the, uh, in the Second World War to see what hope did to them and what difference it made to them. And uh, he wrote an article titled, What Does Hope Mean? What Hope Does for Man? Or, you know, I would add in brackets, women. And he concluded that astonishingly, Astonishingly, there was one group of men for whom their circumstances made very little difference to them uh, as a prisoner of war. Despite their brutality that they experienced, the torture, the solitary confinement, uh, and all kinds of inhumane abuse, there was one group who didn't get post-traumatic stress disorder, they didn't get flashbacks, they didn't get ill, they didn't appear to sort of struggle or suffer in any kind of long-term way. They just seemed to handle it and get on with their life. And in fact, in his words, these people went on to become unusually effective citizens. And the common, the common denominator uh, between them for that group of people was an extraordinarily high level of hope. In his concluding study, Dr. Wolf said, when a man has hope, he's capable of bearing incredible burdens and cruel punishment. He can handle almost anything. But when hope is gone, people fall apart emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Hope makes all the difference, doesn't it? Because it's a lifeline. Apparently, we can go 40 days without food, three days without water, 
and eight minutes without air. I don't actually think I can do any of those, but I know that I can't go a moment without hope. Hope is a lifeline, and biblical hope is a confident expectation of God coming because God will move. Look at Romans 15, verse 13. Here's a brilliant verse about hope. May the, Paul's writing, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is who Jesus intends us to be, friends, a people who overflow with hope, a people who are full of his spirit and therefore able to be energized and strengthened because hope is overflowing within us. I wonder if that's how you describe yourself this morning as overflowing with hope. Are you somebody who is overflowing with the hope that God gives us. It's one thing to have hope, it's another thing to overflow with hope. When I'm in the garden in the summer and I want to fill up my watering can to water my plants, I leave the hose in it. And there's one thing for my watering can to have a bit of water in it, but if I leave the hose in too long, you know, it starts overflowing with water. And it's a picture of who God wants us to be, a people who are overflowing with hope. I wonder what you're overflowing with this morning. With this morning. Are you overflowing with hope? Or are you overflowing with anxiety? or doubt, or discouragement, or anger, or boredom, or whatever else it is. Because if you are, there's good news today, because God wants us to be a people and enables us to be a people who overflow with hope. I love that description, overflowing with hope. Even when the storm is raging, even when we're waiting for test results, even when the marriage counselling isn't working, even when the breakthrough that we've been praying for hasn't happened yet, even when the child that we're longing for to come back to faith is still wandering away from the Lord, even when our finances are in a total mess, even when the doors that we're longing to open just don't open, God says you can be a people who overflow with hope. I love that because a supernatural hope, this hope that's connected to God doesn't depend on our circumstances. It doesn't even depend on our personality types, whether we're optimists or pessimists or anyone in between. It's connected to who's living within us, who we're connected to, who we're known by, who we're loved by, and who we're in relationship with that releases this supernatural hope. Who wants to overflow with hope? I know I do. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 4, because I want us to read a little story that gives us some insight into kind of where this supernatural hope, as it were, comes from and how it grows. Because we don't just get a download of it, like we get a kind of delivery from Tesco's that we unload and then we stick in our cupboards and then it's kind of there forevermore. Hope grows in us as we learn to hold on to certain things, as we learn not to let go of certain things when circumstances would encourage us to do so. And we often learn our best lessons, don't we? I think it's part of being human. We learn some of our best lessons through failing. And in this story that we're about to read, you know, the disciples that Jesus is teaching and wanting to grow hope in, they don't do terribly well, but they learn. They learn and they go on to be uh, men who overflow with hope and change the world because of it. Okay, so Mark chapter 4, verses uh, 35 to uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. That day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, 
They took him along just as he was in the boat. I don't know how else they could have taken him, but they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. As Jesus was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, he was sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and they said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind of the waves and he said, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Then they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, just before we pull a few things out of this, let's just remember something about storms or struggles or difficulties or whatever else that we want to call them. They are the things that Jesus uses, that God uses to grow our hope. When our boys were young, Tim used to take them uh, to the driving range. We have, you know, golf obsession in our family. I'm not part of that, but, you know, the guys love it. And he used to take them to the driving range to practice their golf. Well, do you know what? Jesus takes us through storms to practice growing our hope. Maybe this pandemic has been a storm for you. I know for some of us it has, some of us it hasn't. Maybe your storm is a crisis in your marriage. Maybe it's a kind of job situation. Maybe it's a financial challenge. Maybe it's relationship issues in your family. Maybe it's a habit or a mindset that you're struggling to break free from. Free from. Storms come, don't we? we? We know in all kinds of different shapes and sizes, but Jesus uses them as a practice ground for growing our hope. And this is one of those moments for the boys. Jesus didn't kind of issue a decree to the weather before they left. No storms. I want a calm crossing for my lads because, you know, they're a bit wobbly, even though they're super fishermen. He didn't issue that decree because he wanted, you know, if there was going to be a storm, he wanted it to be a practice ground for their growing hope. So when trouble came, and there was nothing that these seasoned sea warriors could do to calm the storm or protect themselves and make sure that they were going to get to the other side safely. Uh, God, their hope in God, didn't it? it? It disappeared really quickly. It evaporated. And this was their lesson, as it were. So what did these boys let go of? What did these seasoned sea warriors who knew about the Sea of Galilee, who knew about storms and who had Jesus in the boat with them, what did they let go of? What did Jesus want them to hold on to that would have enabled them to, to do that journey with hope? What can we learn to keep hold of, particularly in the midst of our storms, so that we can be a people who overflow with hope? Well, the first thing that they let go of was the fact that they had Jesus in their boat with them. It's astonishing, I know, but they've kind of overlooked the fact that they had the Messiah, they had the King of the universe, they had their God in the boat with them. I don't know about you, but the more I go on, the more I realize that uncertainties and unpredictabilities and things that are outside my control just happen on a more and more regular basis. Just when I think that the kind of winds are dying down and I've got this situation sorted out, or I know how this is going to pan out, just when I kind of think that kind of thing is happening, the next storm comes along. They don't all come in the same kind of size, but they seem to keep coming. And unpredictability and uncertainty are a part of life, aren't they? I mean, who expected a global pandemic? 
Who expected that we would be only allowed to meet with three other households in Christmas 2020? But there's another certainty, isn't there, that sits alongside those uncertainties, which is that Jesus is in the boat with us. If you've given your life to Jesus, if you've invited him into your heart, if you've received his forgiveness, Jesus is in your boat. And if Jesus is in your boat, all the bets are off, aren't they? If the king of the universe, if the Lord of creation is in the boat, all bets are off. But as the disciples watched the raging, you know, waves, the, the storm, and they, they sort of imagined it playing out as they anticipated, they forgot. They forgot who was with them, and their hope went with it. Friend, let me remind you this morning, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. He's in your boat. You may feel like he's asleep, like he was in this story. You may be wondering why he's not doing anything about your circumstances. You might even be wondering, that, 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 or you might be thinking that what you're going through, what you're wrestling with, is actually proof that he doesn't care about you. I mean, that little question, don't you care about us? We're going to drown? I kind of think that's code for, isn't it? You don't care. Jesus, you don't care that we're going to drown. Someone that said that to me a few weeks ago, actually, you know, about this pandemic. Well, if God really cared, he'd do something about it. Maybe you feel like you're about to drown. Maybe you feel like you are drowning at the moment, like everything is out of control, that you're overwhelmed. Maybe you can't see where God is. Maybe you can't see a way forward. Maybe you don't know how you're going to do another day even. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy, friend. He cared about them, and he cares about you. He's in your boat. He's with you, and all bets are off. It's just that Jesus doesn't see storms the way we do. He doesn't see storms the way we do. He brings a whole pile of different assumptions to storms. So we assume when the storm is raging that we're not going to make it. He assumes that we are because he's with us. We, we assume that it's going to end in disaster. That's what the disciples were assuming, wasn't it? He assumes that it's going to end in his purposes being worked out if he's in the boat. Friends, Jesus doesn't promise us an easy ride. You know, let's remember that. But he does promise to be with us in every storm. Even when he's in the boat, there will be storms. But he does promise us that he is with us and he won't leave us. And I wonder if they just brought a whole pile of wrong expectations to their situation. I wonder if they thought, well, because he's in the boat, there won't be a storm. Or if there is, it'll all be straightforward and we won't feel threatened. I don't know. Or maybe they, their hope was in themselves and they thought, well, we know about storms. We're fishermen. We know how we'll handle it. But at the end of the day, his presence didn't make a difference to them when things were out of their control. But Jesus wants his presence. He expects his presence to make a difference to us. He challenges them, doesn't he? And he says, do you still have no faith? What he's really saying is, does it still make no difference to you that I'm with, it, with you? Does it make no difference to you that I'm in your boat, even if I'm asleep? Friends, let's expect his presence with us to make a difference, to make all the difference. He expects us to give it hope, 
to give us hope, to give us hope for our future, to give us hope for our families, to give us hope for our circumstances, to give us hope for our finances, to give us hope for our nation, to give us hope for our world. Not necessarily in a specific outcome, but that God will work his purposes out, which is always the best outcome. Second thing that they let go of and that they lost sight of, that God wants us to remember. He's made you, he's made me, he'd made them a load of promises. Have you noticed how storms seem to have a habit of deafening us to the things that God has said to us? Look at verse 35 again. Jesus says, let's go over to the other side. That's a promise right there. He'd made another one a couple of chapters back. I'm going to make you fishers of men. He'd made them a load of promises. He's made you a load of promises. That's why they got into the boat full of hope, right? If they thought they were going to drown, they'd never got into the boat in the first place. They'd heard a word from God. We're going to the other side. So they'd got into, in, got into the boat with hope. But that hope evaporated in the noise of the storm because they forgot and they let go of what God had said. But that was the promise. That promise, that word that he'd said was what was meant to get them through the storm. That was what they were meant to cling on to so that they remained confident and expectant that good was coming, that there was going to be another side, and that God would move. I think that's what Jesus wanted them to think as they saw the storm, as they experienced the wind and the waves. Oh, but Jesus said this. Jesus said, we're going to the other side. So, guys, we're going to the other side. Let's anticipate that we're going to get there and that it's going to be okay and that, you know, things are going to work out the way he wants to. Friends, we can live based on how we feel about our circumstances. We can live influenced by every storm we go through. Or we can live based on what God has said to us, the promises that he's made to us. You know, he'll get us through the storm like he did the disciples, but we get to choose how we go through the storm. Are we going to be experience that kind of peace that enables us to take a nap like he did because of what he said to us? Or are we going to be, you know, fearing for our lives or, you know, sinking in despair because we believe what our circumstances are telling us? He's made you a load of promises. I want to remind you of that today. Some of them you've heard as whispers in your heart and they've landed and, you know, they've been planted there. Others of them, they're still in the Bible and he's waiting for you to pull them out and allow him to breathe on them so that they take root in you and grow. But these promises, they're meant to shape our expectations of the future so that we have a confident expectation of good coming and God moving. Someone I know has been involved in a, in a really nasty court case uh, in the last few weeks. And of course, they were praying for and hoping for and believing for, um, hoping in the kind of longing sense, believing for uh, a particular outcome, a particular judgment that would that would you know, go their way, obviously. But they said to me, uh, before the judgment was made, they said to me, but it doesn't, in one sense, it doesn't matter which way it goes because we know God hasn't finished. He works all things together for the good and the journey is just going to be a bit longer, but good will come from it. Friends, that is biblical hope. That is a confident expectation of good coming and God moving. And we're to do whatever we need to to hold on to his promises because they're meant to keep our hope alive so that we stay afloat in the storm. 
something I'm learning to do more and more. You know, there are some, some times when I wake up in the morning and, you know, if I'm being honest, my hope seems to have disappeared, you know, a bit like water draining out of the bath. <laughs> and I'm learning, something I've learned to do more and more is to reach for my notebook where I've put his promises, where I've written down the promises that he's made to me. I reach for my notebook and I read them again and I declare them over myself and I pray them over myself and I speak them over myself and I thank God for his promises and I I remind him about the promises that he's made me and I and I stir myself up to engage with them again and I keep going until hope begins to you know overflow within me and become the dominant thing that shapes my thinking because if we rely on our circumstances to give us hope you know particularly through the troubled times we're going to be waiting a long time you know Jesus wants us to bring his hope to our circumstances but there are times where we have to preach to ourselves to preach to our hearts to preach his promises to our hearts you know that's what the psalmist was saying in psalm 42 wasn't it put your trust in god put your hope in god oh my soul remember what he said to you so whatever you're going through you know if you're going through a storm right now let me remind you there's another side he's made you promises. I don't know if you remember them, but maybe you need to go back and dig them out. What's he said to you? What's he promised for your life? What's he promised for your next life, the next life in eternity? Do you know? Are you in touch with those promises? Are, you, are they on your lips and in your heart and alive in you? And if they're not, maybe you need to do a bit of work on that. Because whenever we lose hope, whether it's over a relationship, over our circumstances, over any kind of situation, it's because we're living under the influence of a lie. We've stopped living under the life that the promises of God release in us. Last thing that they let go of, the simple fact that Jesus was stronger than the storm. I mean, they're like, who is this? Who is this? that can calm the wind and the waves. Now, we have the benefit of, the hi of hindsight. They hadn't seen him do that. We have. We've read about it. So let's just remind ourselves this morning, you know, as we, as we think about hope, let's remind ourselves that he is stronger than our storms, however big they are, whatever nature they are. Let me remind you this morning that Jesus is bigger than your storm. He's stronger than your storm. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Do we believe in this God of power? Do we believe in a God who defeated and disarmed the enemies, his enemies on the cross and who brought a dead body back to life? Is that the God that we have put our trust in? A God of power. A God who can move mountains and make a way. Let me remind you again this morning. Let's remind ourselves. He's a God who can move mountains, who can make a way where there is no way, who can turn impossibilities into probabilities. Friends, he's looking for a people who are more impressed with how big they are, how big he is, than how big our problems are. He's looking for a people that will talk more about what he's done and what he's promised to do than about what he hasn't done. But the disciples have let go of this. They've let go of it. But do you know what? I love the fact that they took their, their lack of hope to Jesus. They didn't just sit there and kind of let it all happen. They took their hope 
their lack of hope to Jesus. They prayed, they disturbed him, they woke him up. And I love the fact that, yes, he challenged them, but he also had mercy on them. And in his patience, he calmed the storm to put them out of their misery. This was a tough ride for those boys. But as I said before, let's remember it was also a lesson for them. And they became these men of incredible hope that changed the world. Last thing about hope. Last thing about this confident expectation of good coming and God moving that he wants us to overflow with. The Hebrew word for hope is tikva. And that word is also translated as rope. So tikva means hope, but it also means rope. And rope is the Hebrew picture for hope. I think I've got a little picture. There we are. That's a, that's a rope. It's a Hebrew. That rope is a picture for hope. Something that is stronger than simple strings or cords, which could break. Something that is so strong that it can hold us up when the ground beneath us is crumbling. Something that can hold us up when everything else and everyone else is letting us down. Jesus is our rope of hope. Jesus is your rope of hope. And I like to think of these particular things that the disciples let go of, that he wants us to keep hold of as enabling us to hold on to that rope of hope, to hold on to the fact that he's in the boat, to hold on to the fact that he's made you promises, and to hold on to the fact that he's bigger than your storm. Those, I like to think of those as three strings that together, bound together, create this rope of hope that connects us to Jesus. And of course, when we feel like we've run out of hope, that rope holds on to us just as he held on to the disciples. But friends, let's remember, you know, whatever our storm is, you know, whatever season we're going through, let's remember that he is wanting to grow this hope in us. He wants us to overflow with hope because we are a people that need hope. This storm, eventually this pandemic will pass. But other storms will come, and he wants his church to show the world what real hope, what true hope looks like, no matter what is going on around. So why don't we just take a moment um, to allow the Holy Spirit to minister his, his truth to us, the truth that he wants us to take away this morning. Why don't we give him a moment to do that uh, as we just still for a, a minute? Uh, and then I'll pray.